0: Right? Well, yes, yeah. If you, um, if if you were to go to the about me page on my website, the little summary, the blurb that I give about myself is that that I'm I'm a simple living, nature loving, weed eating, backyard medicine making, urban homesteader, passionate about wild foods and and plants, and I think that sums up a, a good portion of my um, my interests and my passions and some of the things that um, are, are important to me that I prioritize in my life that that I also value. So, uh, you know, I, I do try to live as simply as possible. And, and what that means to me is to have um, a, a lighter footprint on the earth. I am very concerned about environmental issues. I'm concerned about resource depletion. I'm concerned about overconsumption and the effects that that has. Uh, so I, you know, I I try to make choices and I try to live a, a lifestyle that has a little bit of a, a lighter footprint, if you will, um, and. Uh, you know, nature-loving, weed-eating, backyard medicine-making, that refers to my interest in trying to really become rooted and grounded in my place, my home, my bioregion, to source things as close to home as possible, to source things locally. And the reality is, is that I live in Ottawa, uh, which is uh, it's a city, and you know it's a it's a very urban environment. So trying to live a, a simple life that's connected to nature in an urban environment, um, I think that that pretty much sums up of what I'm trying to achieve. Um, so my name is Amber Westfall of the Wild Garden, thewildgarden.ca. I'm passionate about reconnecting people and plants. These are further reflections.
1: Welcome to episode 21 of Further Reflections. I'm your host, Mark A. This episode is being released on Sunday, September 2nd, 2018, and it's the first podcast in September, so happy September. The guest this week is Amber Westfall. Amber is the business owner of the website The Wild Garden, which aims to reconnect people and plants She's also a herbalist, or she teaches herbalism, and she'll talk about that. She'll talk about her monthly box program and uh, a lot about uh, the business. I won't read too much about it uh, on the podcast. I'll just urge you to go to the website, thewildgarden.ca, to check out more of Amber's work. Amber also touches on, uh, she wanted to talk about ethical wildcrafting and regenerative harvesting practices, and she does that in the interview. It's uh, one of her passions, and she does come across, when she's talking about the um, harvesting practices, she uh, comes across as very kind of um, passionate, I would say. I first met Amber, I think around late 2010. I believe the first time I talked to Amber was at a excursion to Mike Nickerson's property. If you don't know who Mike Nickerson is, he's the author of Life, Money, and Illusion, Living on Earth as If We Want to Stay. And he's also pioneering an eco-village near Lanark, Ontario, which is uh, not too far away from Ottawa. And uh, this podcast is based in Ottawa, Canada area, and uh, Amber is also living in the east end of Ottawa. She touches on where she's living in the interview. So I first kind of interacted with Amber at uh, an open house that Mike had at his property back, that would have been back in 2010, but I may have uh, seen her before that, I'm not sure. And in 2010, I... Uh, sort of uh, got interested in the transition movement. Actually, I'd known about it for... Actually, I'd known about transition towns probably for a few years before that, maybe going back to 2008. And we talk in the interview about the transition movement in Ottawa. And it was when I sort of decided to move back to Canada after quite a number of years teaching abroad. There was a three-year span from 2007 to 2010 where I was... I didn't come back to Canada for three years and I was living in at that time China and later in Poland but uh, eventually I settled back in uh, Canada well I've been settled since 2012 but I came back in 2010 to try to find my bearings and at that time I heard in late 2010 when I came back Uh, I'd heard about Transition Ottawa. It was, I suppose, just starting around that time. I don't think it was that old, and there was a lot of uh, buzz. I remember going to a meeting in uh, in what was, and probably still is, the Terra Firma co-housing project. There was a meeting in the uh, common area there, and it attracted quite a lot of people. I don't know how many. It could have been a few dozen people, something like that. It was really busy, and I think that momentum kept up for a number of years, although different groups kind of splintered off, and that might be part of why the movement didn't hold together long-term in Ottawa. But it did keep going till probably recently. There hasn't been a meeting for a while. but So Amber and I discussed that, and I discussed the transition movement with other former members, uh, Corey Rabbi and Sebastian Backrack, and you can go to furtherreflections.net to look at their uh, interviews, as well as episode four is an interview with Mike Nickerson, if you want to learn more about Mike and uh, what he's up to these days. So I got to know Amber there, and I saw her occasionally over the years. She was, I believe, somewhat involved early on with Permaculture Ottawa, but maybe was never a, a key member. But I know she's got her business that, uh, kind of took, uh, hold of her interest recently. I remember reading Amber's blog at some point, uh, which was called unstuffed about how she, it started as, uh, she was going to go a year without buying anything. And it, it, the blog was an offshoot of that. And I remember reading that, uh, Occasionally, and uh, it's stuck in my mind. So we do touch upon that. uh, Also, I do have a potential interview for the next episode of further reflections. But as of recording this intro, it's uh, the interview is not being recorded yet. So I'm not going to say who that may be. But it's someone I have some common interest with and someone I've known. Well, I used to know fairly well for a number of years, and we've reconnected over the years. And it'd be interesting to connect with him again to uh, hear his views on the podcast. One of the things we may talk about if this interview comes to fruition is our time uh, teaching English in China. I taught English in China for three years from 2004 to 2008. And I hope to bring that experience to the podcast at some point in the near future. But there's quite a lot to unpack there. And I believe uh, actually the guest Well, he spent uh, maybe more years than that in China, almost around the same time, maybe a few years before I was there. But we both spent time in the city of Guangzhou, which is also known as Canton, where Cantonese comes from. It's a large city, probably one of the largest in China, and it really does feel like a large city. That's in the south of China, and uh, it's very, kind of more exotic than some other parts of China. So we shared that experience. We even taught at the same part, I believe, at a place called the a place called the Higher Education Mega Center, which I would love to talk about in more detail in a future podcast about Guangzhou. In a way, some of my highlights of China were in Guangzhou. I was there for a year, uh, 2007 to 2008. But also, there was some kind of low points, and we can get into that in a future podcast. But uh, hopefully that interview comes to fruition. But otherwise, there'll be uh, something else for, for the reflections in the future. I hope you check back uh, in two weeks' time for a new episode. And in the new year, look for a kind of rebranding. I think I'm gonna rebrand Further Reflections. Maybe do just do one podcast a month, and maybe make it a bit longer. Maybe make it more of a I don't know about a variety show, but Maybe have some of my opinions, some guests, and just a variety of topics. Uh, it's uh, just seems like that's the direction I want to go in right now. We may take a month off just to uh, regroup uh, at the end of November, which will mark the one-year anniversary of the podcast. But uh, for now, let's listen to the interview with Amber Westfall of The Wild Garden, and we'll catch you next time. So we're well joined on the podcast today by Amber Westfall of the Wild Garden. So, welcome to the podcast, Amber. Thank you. Do you want to just start by introducing maybe yourself and the Wild Garden to the listeners?
0: Sure. Yes. So, uh, I'm I'm an herbalist here in Ottawa, and I my business, the Wild Garden. I started that up about five years ago. It really grew out of my love and passion for plants, for their healing properties. Um, I'm also very interested in foraging, using plants for uh, wild food. And so with, with the business, I, there's a number of different aspects to it. So I have both products and services that I offer to the community I grow and gather medicinal herbs and wild food here in in Ottawa and I make products with that and I, I offer those products to folks through a monthly herbal box program and the way that that works is that every month there's a theme and I put together a box of products that fit with that theme. And I also write a fairly de- detailed newsletter and people who are interested in that theme for that month, the products that are being offered, they sign up for it and I put the boxes together and then I send them out through the mail. And so they arrive on people's doorsteps and it's the my my main focus with the well, with all of the work that I do is is really to reconnect people with plants. That's kind of my, my tagline. And my focus is on working with local bioregional herbs, so plants that grow in this particular area, in this bioregion, and to kind of introduce people to the plants that are growing all around them, that sometimes people... Might think of as weeds, as maybe nuisance plants, or maybe they're not even really noticing them at all. So I really like to introduce people to to these plants and, you know, kind of help them discover some of the uh, the beneficial or the wonderful gifts that they offer uh, that they have to offer us. So I do I do the monthly herbal boxes, and then there's a fairly large educational component to my work. So I'm an educator. I teach at a school here in Ottawa called the International Academy Health Education Centre. They have a herbal certificate program, and I teach the herbal classes for that program. And then as part of my business, I also run my own plant walks and workshops all year long. And I also I'm involved in children's programming and I run two different levels uh, the Young Herbalist Social Club and the Young Herbalist Apprenticeship for youth in the area. And again, introducing them to plants how to identify, how to harvest, and how to prepare them for food and medicine. So those are, those are the main aspects of the business, and all of that keeps me pretty busy.
1: Yeah, I'd like to expand on some of that. Um, I've heard you describe yourself as a forager. We can talk a bit more about that, but I've also heard you describe yourself as an urban for, forager. So uh, tell us a bit about that, maybe.
0: Yeah, so foraging, and, and there's, there's kind of two words, foraging and wildcrafting. Both essentially mean gathering plants that haven't been cultivated by humans. So we're talking about wild plants. But when I say wild plants, I don't necessarily mean plants that are growing in the wilderness or pristine, untouched environments. I'm talking about plants that haven't been cultivated by humans. And, you know, some of those plants could be growing in very urban environments or disturbed soil or, you know, sometimes these plants come right up out of the cracks in the sidewalk and, you know, in places that have been altered and and changed by humans. So both foraging and wildcrafting mean gathering wild plants, plants that haven't been cultivated by humans. I tend to use foraging to refer More to plants that I gather that I'm using for food. And wildcrafting, I refer to plants that I'm gathering for medicinal uses. Although, essentially, they can be used pretty much interchangeably. And there is a lot of crossover, of course, between what's considered food and and what's considered medicine.
1: Yeah, I did listen to one of your lectures, and you were talking about maybe this uh, foraging is nothing new. It's been around as long as humans have been around maybe so that's kind of an interest of yours maybe right living maybe the way we've maybe been deconditioned to live in a different way but this is sort of part of our heritage maybe
0: we we started as as human beings gathering wild plants that's how we lived that's how we got our nutrition wild plants and, and hunting animals, you know, that's that's how we evolved for 99.9% of our history as, as humans. In terms of agriculture and cultivated foods, that was... You know, well, there's arguments about timing, but let's let's say 10, 12,000 years ago is, is when we kind of started to really settle down in in one place and and cultivate plants and and developed an agricultural system. So up until that point, the entire history of humanity was based off of these wild plants. That's that's how we evolved, and and so I think that that in some sense is it's it's part of our genetic makeup, um, and and it's also a, a bit of a a birthright um, in in that way. So for me, it's it's just a it's a fascinating, educational, and really enjoyable, fun experience to kind of connect with this very ancient, primal aspect that that we all share. So. Yes. Um, I I I live on on the Just Food Farm, and that's that's a pretty special location. So Just Food is a nonprofit organization here on Ottawa in Ottawa, and they do really wonderful work around. Food in terms of supporting the local food movement, supporting local farmers, connecting farmers and eaters, educating about food, food security, um, agricultural practices, organic growing, um, and so they they do they have a number of projects. They administer the community gardening network, um, but here on the Just Food Farm. Uh, they run the Startup Farm Program, which started, I think, about five years ago. And they secured a long-term lease on an NCC farm in the East End, in in Blackburn-Hamlet. And with the Startup Farm Program, it's For people who are interested in starting a farm business, but they don't have access to their own land, they're not in a position yet to be able to buy a farm, or, you know, a bank isn't quite ready to to give them a loan because they're just getting started, so they don't really have a viable business plan. Or maybe they want to give farming a try before they get into it, you know, full time. So they're not quite ready to to give up their, their other employment. So they can apply to the startup farm program and essentially get access to a little bit of land, equipment, training, resources, and just the wonderful community of farmers here. And they can start their farm business and basically get a little bit of experience under their belt and then from there decide what they what they want to do so there's also long-term partner projects on the farm there's some uh, social enterprises that happen here some some really really cool projects and I'm just one of many farmers on on the property so I have access to about a half acre of land but whereas most of the folks here are growing organic vegetables that maybe they're selling at farmer's markets or through CSAs or to restaurants, my focus is on the, the medicinal plants, um, the, the wild plants. that, uh, that I, Those are the things that I work with.
1: Maybe you can say more about the medicinal plants. Tell us a bit about your herbalism and how that interest got started and a little bit about how you practice as a herbalist, maybe?
0: Sure, yeah. So I had a growing interest in natural health in general and alternative health, I guess you could say, in my mid to late 20s. I I wanted to explore... Uh, you know, again, just different different ways of 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 maintaining of maintaining health, um, and ways that I could do that naturally. And I remember getting for Christmas uh, this very large encyclopedia of of natural health, and I was very excited about it. And I would I would flip through the pages, and it was all the the way that it was laid out is was you know you could. If there was a particular condition or ailment or illness, you could look that up and it would give you recommendations for natural remedies, alternative health, that, that may be able to, to benefit whatever the condition was. So it the some of the suggestions were things like acupressure and uh, massage and homeopathic remedies and supplements, as well as herbal remedies. And it was always the herbal remedies that I was drawn to, in part because a lot of the time, the herbs that they talked about were things that were already in my kitchen that I had access to, that were familiar to me. Um, things like homeopathic remedies, I, you know, I just didn't know what that was, I didn't even know where to begin, or supplements were, were very expensive and just something that I couldn't afford at the time. But chamomile tea for uh, conjunctivitis, well, I had, I had a bag of chamomile in the kitchen. That's something that I could try. That's something that I could play with. So that's, that's kind of how it, it got started. And from there, that, that interest and that passion really grew. And then um, I became interested in the local food movement. And I, I, for about a year, I just kind of had a little bit of a project where I would try to eat as locally as possible. This was about 10 years ago when the local food movement wasn't quite so popular as it is now. And so eating uh, or finding local food to eat in the wintertime could be a little bit challenging. And I, and I remember just eating a lot of root vegetables onions and rutabaga and, and cabbage and, and beets and carrots and, and things like that. And so, uh, you know, I, I kind of knew sort of on the periphery that that wild foods, there were there were foods out there that just kind of grew on their own that you could eat. So I thought that that might be an interesting way to increase the diversity of local foods in my diet, as well as have more things available in those shoulder seasons those times when there just isn't much available in between late fall and and early spring because what I learned really quickly about so many of our weedy plants is that they you can you can harvest wild roots right up until the ground freezes and you can start gathering wild greens pretty much as soon as the snow melts and the sun starts warming up the soil. So there are, there are things available. There are wild plants available. There aren't cultivated vegetables ready yet from the farmer's fields and, and, and gardens. Um, so that kind of became a way to extend my my growing interest and commitment to eating um, local food whenever possible.
1: And uh, I think you went uh, a year without buying anything as well and you had a blog based around that. So what memories do you have of that maybe?
0: Yeah, so that was that was in the year 2008 and and prior to that I had be I I was becoming increasingly concerned with some of the environmental issues of our time. I was I was volunteering at the Peace and Environment Resource Center, and you know it was it was while I was there that that I really kind of got a, a, a much fuller understanding or grasp of um, climate change and resource depletion and. You know, pollution the state of our of our oceans, and the role that overconsumption of of stuff can can play in that. And it was around the time that there were bloggers who were undergoing these year-long commitments or or projects. So I was really inspired at the time by, no impact man. And there were a couple of other bloggers that I I can't quite remember now, but who were doing similar things. So in 2008, I made a, a new year's resolution that I wasn't going to buy anything new for one year. And I envisioned that that year would be a time for me to Really, kind of educate myself and look a little bit more deeply into these issues and get a bit of an understanding of how perhaps individual lifestyle choices may or may not have an impact on that. So that that year, um, you know, it was it was buy nothing new. I did exempt food and some toiletries from from the list, but. I Again, part of the food was to buy as local as possible. Um, I could buy secondhand items, so I did visit lots of thrift stores and and consignment shops. although, again, my emphasis was try to to try to minimize consumption in general as much as possible, whether it was used or or not. And then the toiletries, over that year, I did actually stop using toilet paper, and I switched to cloth, reusable cloth. Uh, I also stopped using shampoo. So, gosh, that's 10 years now that I've been washing my hair with baking soda and rinsing it with apple cider vinegar. Um, You know, sometimes, not always, but sometimes I'll make my own toothpaste, and, and other things like that. So I was like, I was actually able to give up some toiletries or find, um, homemade or sustainable substitutes for them. So, so that year, you know, that was, uh, I think what that year did, aside from being incredibly transformative for me, it, It set me on the path that has led to where I am today. It was during that year that I became interested in permaculture. Um, I became interested in gardening. I had never really gardened before. I had never grown vegetables before. And it was also that year that I became very, very interested in working with plants, uh, with the with the wild, uncultivated plants, um, for their food and uh, medicinal purposes.
1: There must have been something about maybe two thousand eight, because that's when I got interested in permaculture as well and some of related things. And uh, I remember that two thousand eight to like two thousand eleven, the sort of the kind of the peak oil and the The relocalization movement was taking off, but uh, I've talked to uh, Sebastian Bacharach and Corey Rabi about the transition movement, and I know you were involved a little bit with that here in Ottawa, but uh, we were talking about how maybe that, whether it failed or I don't know if you have any thoughts around that, or maybe it's just taken a different direction maybe.
0: Yeah, so um I was uh, you know I I learned about Transition Towns during that year as well and and got really excited and I was involved in the the Transition Town Ottawa one of the one of the very early members. You know, we 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 did quite a few really interesting Projects and some really great events. You know, there was, it was a great opportunity to meet like minded individuals who sort of had a, a shared similar values and had a similar vision of of how to move forward into the future with much less reliance on fossil fuels and much more resilience in the face of, you know, economies and and ecosystems that, that may be struggling or collapsing. I don't think of it as a, a failure. What I think um, happened is that because people live very busy lives and only have so much time and energy to commit to projects we we got busy doing other things so you know transition uh, transition ottawa all volunteer run and and led and uh you know there's 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 that can be a, a limited resource and so I think that's part of of what happened there is that folks just were had other interests and passions and projects that redirected their time and energy in in other ways.
1: So we, you talked a little bit about I know you wanted to talk about ethical wildcrafting and regenerative regenerative harvesting practices, and I think you touched upon ethical wildcrafting, but regenerative harvesting practices I guess you can talk about that a little bit if you have something to say about it
0: for sure yeah this is an area that I'm I'm very passionate about that's really important to me uh, particularly as foraging and wild crafting becomes increasingly popular foraging is is quite trendy um, you know I think I think Uh, in, in food culture with chefs, um, with their commitment to local foods and, and, you know, really using diverse foods, interesting foods. It's, it's wonderful. And I'm, I'm so glad that there is a growing interest. And ultimately I believe the more we value these plants, the more inclined we will be to care for and steward the ecosystems that they're growing in but there can be a tendency in our enthusiasm and our eagerness to forget that that these plants are part of a larger ecosystem that we are not the only ones that are using them and that we are certainly not entitled to them and you know with with a capitalist mindset it's really easy to start looking at these plants as commodities as resources that can be extracted for profit and that that is deeply concerning to me because then you get into situations where you have a plant like ramps or wild leeks which is a it's a native ephemeral it's very slow growing so it's a plant that It it grows in mixed deciduous woodland habitats. And because it's an ephemeral plant, it really only grows photosynthesizing leaves, flowers, and seeds in the brief window of time after the snow melts in the spring, but before the trees leaf out. So sunlight is able to hit the forest floor, warm things up, uh, the plants come to life and they they kind of go through their, their cycle in a, in a very brief period of time and then they go dormant. And what that means is that in the case of, of wild leeks or, or ramps, for example, is that it's a very, very slow growing plant. So the plant takes seven years to reach maturity uh, before it will even start reproducing seeds. Those seeds can take a year or more, sometimes up to three before they germinate. And it's it's an incredibly popular wild food. The leaf is is edible and delicious, but it's the it's the underground bulb uh, or corm that that's really prized. And it has this wonderful, rich, earthy, uh, leaky, garlicky flavor. And so, what's happening is that that people are are going into the forests and they're harvesting huge patches of of these plants and then they're turning around they're selling them at farmers markets they're selling them to chefs they pop up on the on the spring menus and because it's such a sensitive slow growing plant even even when it's abundant it's quite easy to damage the population and have the size of the population of those plants decrease over time. So in Quebec, for example, they actually have legislation in place that limits the amount of that you can harvest. And I'm, I, am i am not quite sure what the amount is, but it's, it's in grams, right? You, uh, and, and if you're caught by a conservation officer having more of whatever the the maximum amount of weight is on you there's there's quite a hefty fine but of course people find ways of of getting around that that all the time so that's that's one example of of over harvesting a plant um to the point where it's detrimental to that plant's ability to grow and and thrive so I I appreciate the growing interest and enthusiasm but I think it also needs to be tempered with education and really this idea of ethical wildcrafting or ethical harvesting which means that you're not taking too much but for me and and you know I could I could talk for a really long time I I Teach workshops, you know, for an hour or more just on this concept of, of ethical wildcrafting. Uh, for me, I would I'm I'm working towards, I'm striving towards something even more than just not taking too much or or taking a sustainable harvest, but this idea of of regenerative wildcrafting or regenerative harvesting so that my interaction with an ecosystem, my relationship, not just with the plant that I'm harvesting, but all the plants, all the animals, all of the insects, all of the the living creatures in an ecosystem, that my involvement or interaction at the end of the day will will actually have a, a beneficial effect such that I you know what I do will create more biodiversity, will create healthier soils. This isn't something that I'm really going to know whether I'm achieving that or not for for many many years. It means that I have to have a relationship with the plants and the ecosystems, the habitats that they're growing in. I need to I need to be committed to Uh, I really do feel like it is a relationship. And just like the relationships that we have with other people, they come with a kind of set of responsibilities and and obligations. Um, If we want healthy relationships, we can't treat the people in our lives badly. We can't exploit them. And I would say that the same thing goes for, for plants, for habitats.
1: Okay. So I think we can start to wrap up. So why don't you tell people how to find the wild garden and also any uh, other resources you want to leave them with maybe someone's interested in urban foraging or any of the other topics you talked about herbalism or wild crafting so
0: so my website is the wild and i i'm also on facebook and instagram on facebook you can just search for the wild garden on instagram it's Um, at Amber in the Wild Garden. And in terms of resources, this is a question that I get a lot. And because of the trend, the growing interest in in foraging and and, um, herbalism, you know, not all resources are, are created equal. So my one of my favorite resources that I that I always point folks towards is they're the it's the work of Samuel Thayer. He has three books out now: uh, the uh, Nature, the Forager's Harvest, uh, Nature's Garden, and Incredible Wild Edibles. Those are excellent excellent resources for people who are interested in foraging in wild food. Uh, For herbal medicine for beginners, a book that I really love is called Backyard Medicine, and it's written by Julie Bruton Seal and Matthew Seal. One of the things that is really important when you're working with wild foods is to be able to accurately identify the plants so that you're not mistaking them for something else, Uh, especially you don't want to mistake wild plants for Um, poisonous lookalikes so a big portion of of what I do in terms of my education my classes and my workshops is teaching people about botany and my favorite resource for learning about botany is a book called botany in a day by Thomas L. Pell
1: yep so let me just thank you for appearing on the podcast today
0: Thank you so much for thinking of me and for reaching out and having me. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, that does it for another episode. Just a reminder, the website for this podcast is furtherreflections.net. There you can find the episode archive. You can find more about myself. You can support the podcast, and you can see the archive of my previous podcast, Reflections On. Thanks for listening.